Welcome to the On Deck Circle, a weekly podcast setting the table with lively baseball banter from two guys who love America's pastime. Let's talk baseball. Welcome back into the On Deck Circle podcast for the week of June 13th, 2023. Alex is back in the studio and we're going to see what kind of fallout happens from our last podcast. Things are going to be spirited today and Alex is hot under the collar already as we get into this week's podcast. So much so he hasn't even said a word yet. And you know what? Before we let him say a word, let's just let's just get into our first segment for the week. Leading off. Welcome back. Uh, against my better judgment, I decided to come back this week after I He's was back. after I was smacked up one side and down the other um, by my co-host, which I greatly appreciated. Uh, there was a point in that podcast episode last week where we took a left turn, and I was like, "Wow, we are not going to a pretty place." And little did I know, I was walking into a hornet's nest of attack, of personal attack against my team. And uh, I will say this, baseball is much more fun when you're emotionally invested, even when your team isn't doing well. Uh, it's part of the fun of the game is you know, feeling the, the, the ebbs and the flows of the game and the, the rise and the fall of the emotion. And so, yeah, I am a little hot under the collar. Sometimes my, more ebbs than flows. Because when you just see your, you know, when you see your team not making the basic baseball plays and doing them well, it you know gets under your skin a little bit. But I heard that you have switched teams. You are officially a bandwagon bandit. Well, it's a little more complicated than a bandwagon bandit. When I was growing up, we were Tiger fans. We were uh, from uh, Michigan. Pause, pause. Story time with Alex starts exactly. right now. Open the book. Uh, we were Tiger fans. We were from Michigan. That's what happened. But before the days of cable TV and, you know, Bally Sports, bankruptcy and all sorts of other things going on, there were teams that were on TV more regularly. The Chicago Cubs were on all the time because they were on WGN and we lived near Chicago or not far from Chicago. So we got WGN on our TV package. Are you coming out as a Cubs fan? Let me keep going. Also, so that was a team we watched on a regular basis, my brother and I, in addition to the Cubs. Sounds like you were bandwagon. Thanks Cubs to fans. the Turner Broadcasting Studios, we would watch the Atlanta Braves on a regular basis. Oh, and I grew up exactly. I grew up in the heyday of Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, Sean Avery, and just you know, oh Greg Maddox of them winning lots of NL East crowns, but no World Series. Chipper Jones. Uh, Chipper Jones, Andrew, uh, Andrew Jones, David Justice, Brian these my, Jordan. These were my guys growing up. And I'd like to think that I'm going back to my roots. My team, the Detroit Tigers, are an abomination. Wow. And so I'm going back to a team that's not unfamiliar to me. And a team that, you know, when I hear that tomahawk chop, the tomahawk chop music, it's like music to my ears. Wow. And so I'm coming out. Atlanta Braves fan. I almost feel like this is like a WWE move, like you're like you're turning heel. And it hurts me because again, right now my new team. You're very conflicted because your new team and your old team are, are like beating right up now. on each other. My new team 
my old team came back on my new team just the other day. And today there's a doubleheader. A, 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 it's not a day-night doubleheader. It's a day-day doubleheader. Uh, game two kicks off in about 40 minutes. Game one's not even over yet. And But my new team is uh, bludgeoning my old team uh, 10 to 6 right now. And uh, my old team had a chance to make it interesting, but... Matt Veerling's not a professional hitter. And well, story time with Alex has just come to a tragic end. And it's time to go to the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, we do. And this week, I think we might have the same good. I doubt it. There is some goodness going on out in California. Oh, maybe we do. The Oakland A's. Oh, we do. Check that out. We do. The Oakland A's, you know, credit to whom credit is due. We have been riding the A's really hard since the beginning of the season because they have been atrocious. Yes. But yes. they have won seven in a row, seven. including two against the best team in baseball, oh, yeah. the Tampa Bay Rays. They have been locked in. And Did honestly, you see the game last night? So, so the game this week that we're talking about, there was a reverse boycott. And by that, we mean there was this whole fan grassroots movement Average attendance at an A's game has been about 8,500 people so far this year. And last night, almost 28,000 fans showed up, and they were all wearing sell-the-team shirts that had been supported from a grassroots movement. The playing atmosphere was electric last night. The pitchers couldn't hear the pitch comm things. That's how loud the crowd was. They showed up in a big way last night, and I think the fans in Oakland are sending a message we the issue is not us i think they're on to something oakland athletics are my good for the week i'm so on that i am so on that i'm so happy for oakland they're one seven in a row it's a great story they are 20 games as of this moment they are 20 games out of the, the third wild card spot in the american league but they're no longer on pace to have the worst record no. in baseball but the day and it, and maybe I'm, just, I'm sure this was all planned on some level. But the day that they announced that Nevada had passed, you know, they had okayed the money and appropriated the money or the plans for a stadium in downtown Las Vegas is the day that nearly 30,000 fans show up in Oakland in order to, yeah, reverse boycott the team. And it's also at a time when they're playing some good baseball and they're playing it against some, uh, some, uh, yeah, some good opponents as in the Tampa Bay Rays right now, which is totally cool. All so. seven of their wins have come against teams over 500. Yeah. So they're yeah. beating teams that nobody would have picked them to beat. Nope. But they're doing a great job. So the yeah. Oakland days are our good for the week. They are good for the week. That's great. What's your bad for the week? Yeah. So we're, on a week, almost we're past a week now. We're going on two weeks, and both in the American League, both Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez have been on the shelf. Jordan uh, Alvarez list. is one of the be- is one of the best hitters in the American League. He leads the league in RBIs. He's second in home runs. You know his on base percentage is, is crazy because he walks in just a, a ridiculous amount. Do you think it's an overstatement to say that? you have the best left-handed hitter and right-handed hitter out of commission right now? Yeah, no, I think that's totally within within reason. And Aaron Judge was 
ever since the stare into the Toronto Blue Jays dugout, the infamous stare, he was one of the hottest hitters in all of baseball and, you know, was well, was, was outpacing or at least was on pace, if not slightly outpacing his performance from last year in route to another 60 home run season. And all of a sudden, both of those guys are on the shelf. And I'm not a Yankees fan. I'm not an Astros fan, but I love Jordan Alvarez. And I think Aaron Judge is a great storyline. Baseball is just better when those guys are playing every night and yeah. to have them out now going on two full weeks and possibly longer Ugh, that just feels bad. And so that's my bad for the week. And it might be my bad going into next week as long as they're staying out. All right. All right. Uh, my bad is Corbin Carroll from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Bad? Corbin's bad. awesome. Here's why. Physical mistakes are one thing. I'm good with physical mistakes. You misread a ball. You drop it. You make an error. But that's good. You're not going to go after his mullet, are you? No. Although his mullet game is fire. Last game, last couple games, they've been playing the Phillies. And a situation happened last night when they were getting their brains beat in, when they were getting their mullets beat in by the Phillies, a play happened uh, in which Corbin Carroll made a mental mistake. Corbin Carroll, probably one of the best players on the Diamondbacks team. Dark horse for MVP right now. And rookie of the year. I mean, like yeah. he's a great player. He lost track of how many outs there were in the outfield. There were runners on first and third with what he thought were two outs, a pop fly to left field where he was playing. He caught the ball, which, you know, okay, that's what he's supposed to do. In the process of running to catch the ball, said mullet that is fire caused him to lose his hat. He caught the ball, turned around, trotted back, and grabbed his hat. All the while, the runner on third base tagged up and scored. Now, what run number was this for the game? This was number five. Oh, so the, it was still a ball so game. So it was then. still a ball game at that point. <laughs> Zach Davies was trying to get out of, I think it was the third inning when it happened. And he, everybody was yelling at Corbin Carroll, there's not two outs. That was the second out. And he, he, just, he just lost track. By the time he figured it out, the run had already scored. And you're just like, oh. Yeah, there's certain things you just can't do on the baseball field. It, it was that was a bad. And yeah, that's a little obvious mistake. Honestly, I thought he should have been taken out of the game. I mean, like we, we've seen other players this year who have made mental mistakes, not hustling. Uh, Tyler O'Neill is one of those people that we highlighted earlier in the season. And he got taken out. He got benched. Avi Baez making mental mistakes, not keeping his head in the game. He got benched earlier in the season. I feel like Corbin Carroll needs to get benched. And I didn't see anything from Tori Lavolo that that, that was going to happen. And so I just think that that's a bad look. Like he made a mental mistake and there needs to be some consequences for that as a professional baseball player. You can't make those mental mistakes. And so Corbin Carroll is my bad for the week. I agree. I agree that it's a bad. Um, I disagree with the harsh consequences you're promoting right now. Just because. Bench him for a game. Well, I get, I get it. I get it. There has to be some sort of discussion Give or him consequence a that has to happen. Day. However, you can't. You know, in uh, in the case of both Tyler O'Neill and Javi Baez, um, neither one of those players was the hottest hitter in the league at that time. Corbin Carroll is <laughs> one of the hottest hitters in the National League, and like we said, you know, out, he had a phenomenal week. I think he needs a mullet chop. Maybe he needed. Maybe he just needed a day off because his week was so stellar. You know, he uh, he he ran roughshod through Detroit for three days, and then uh, I heard he was on the APB list for uh, most wanted for taking the soul of Detroit. 
Yeah, he sucked. He sucked it right out of the city there. But yeah, no, I I agree. That's a bad, bad, bad look. All right, my ugly for the week is the New York Mets. <laughs> this was a close tie between the Mets and the Tigers, but I decided in lieu of what happened last week to go with the Mets as my ugly. And I thank you. The Mets are one and nine over their last ten games. This just happens to coincide with something you brought up last week, Pete Alonso saying throw it again throw it again throw it again apparently that was a reference to a win for the Mets because I don't think they've won a game since no they haven't he's gone on the IL he's out three to four weeks because he took a ball off his hand and just things are not well in Mets land right now they're free falling yeah and what makes it they're now in second to last place in the division the Phillies have made have made moves the Marlins have made moves the Braves have made moves in positive directions the Mets are like free falling and they're trying to make it a, a conversation as to whether the nationals or the Mets will be last place in that division. Yeah. And when you, when you think about the expectation going into the season, the expectation was, I think it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't like world series or bust, but it was, they were high expectations uh, spent for the close Mets. to a billion dollars. Exactly. And the fact that, yeah, they are where they are in the standings. It's, it's, it's worse than a disappointment. So I'm with you. It's ugly. All right, you have an ugly for this yeah, week? Yeah, I think uh, this happened in the game that's actually being played right now, and it was uh, it, it's kind of funny, not funny. You don't want to root for anyone to get hurt in baseball, but uh, you have two guys uh, facing each other. They faced each other a lot in their careers. I remember these guys facing each other. I believe it was the ALCS back in 08, I believe. Anyway, uh, Miguel Cabrera was up to bat against Jesse Chavez, a uh, 39-year-old reliever uh, for the Atlanta Braves, who's having a phenomenal season. People were saying he's having an all-star caliber season. Uh, his stats have been so good. Nonetheless, 39 years old. Miguel Cabrera was up to bat 40 years old. Uh, guys have faced each other a lot. And Miguel Cabrera, in the same game that he hit a home run for the first time this season, apparently he's seeing the ball pretty well today, smoked one back up the middle and bounced it off of the shin of Jesse Chavez, who fell down in a into a heap in the fetal position on the on the mound and was unable to move and Miguel Cabrera was able to leg out what was possibly the slowest infield single in the history of infield singles and that whole thing was just hard to watch that play um one Miguel Cabrera is not in the greatest shape of his life Jesse Chavez is in good shape. Although round is a shape. But he, (laughs) that is true. And it is maybe the greatest rounded shape of his life. Um, Jesse Chavez is in decent shape, but he's old and he can't take a ground ball the way he used to. And he was carried off by two team members off the field. Meanwhile, you have the 40 year old running a, 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 a 40 time that was just just amazingly slow. The whole thing was ugly and it just begs the question. I just, I don't know. At what point are you too old to keep playing baseball? I know you can, I know guys have played a long time and I know like rich Hill right now is having a decent season for the pirates and stuff. And I know that, you know, Julio Franco back in the day played forever. I think he's still playing baseball. I think he is maybe overseas somewhere, but I get it. But if you can't protect yourself on the field, maybe you shouldn't be on the field. And I know Miguel Cabrera is on his farewell tour, and I'm glad he had a home run today. But, man, it's getting ugly watching these old guys play baseball. Mets fans, don't tune out quite yet because I think we're going to talk about you in what's going to be our next segment. Now on deck. And we want to talk about a situation that happened this week with the New York Mets 
a situation involving stickiness. We've talked about New York and stickiness several times already this season. Major League Baseball at the beginning of the season cracking down on foreign substances. Max Scherzer, mad Max Scherzer, got ejected from a game earlier in the season because his hands were dubbed to be the stickiest the umpires had ever seen. A couple weeks ago, Domingo Erman got tossed from a game. Clark Schmidt had a warning from uh, from the umpires for the stickiness of his hands. And then last, last night, Drew Smith of the Mets got ejected. And I just got to ask, like, is this a New York thing, Alex? Because all of the players that have been ejected for foreign substances have played for either the Yankees or the Mets. Are the are New York sports teams being targeted? Yeah, I, I I'm really having a hard time like what I make of this because it, it at the very wor- at the very least it's incredibly bad luck. But I don't know. Like, is there just more scrutiny? Like, I, I, on you know the New York market. Like, is there people are paying closer attention to what's going on? Is Major League Baseball are they like putting a greater emphasis on stuff that happens in you know big market cities like New York? I don't know. But it just seems like this guy comes in, hasn't even thrown a pitch yet. Correct. He did not throw a pitch. He came in to warm up. Yeah. And, and they checked his hand, and they tossed him before he even threw a pitch. So we were at the game. So typically when a guy comes in from the bullpen, we saw it at the Phillies game, the guy runs in, the, the second base umpire, or, at le- or the umpire that's closest maybe to you know the, the whatever track the guy's in coming in from the bullpen, he you know the umpire checks the glove, checks the hand. Now, I don't know exactly how it played out with Drew Smith. I know there was a conversation on the mound. So the first base umpire who happened to be the crew chief, Bill Miller, Yep checked his hand then summoned for the home plate umpire who checked his hand yes then the third base umpire came over checked his hand then the second base umpire came over and checked his yeah, hand it was a it was a they meeting of the united nations there they all conversed and then bill miller the crew chief the guy who originally checked his hand tossed him from the game much to buck show walter's chagrin yeah buck show walter can't catch a break these days drew smith after he was ejected, went down to the tunnel behind the dugout and was told, there's nothing there by an MLB official. So somebody needs to get their story straight. Yeah. Either yeah. his hand was sticky and they ejected him and there was something valid there, or what are we doing, MLB? That, that's the bigger issue. The bigger issue is because it, it, this goes back to the Max Scherzer debacle, like, you know, the guy in the tunnel had a little different story from what was going on in the field, or at least that was, that's how it was communicated initially. And you want to talk about a bad look for baseball. Like I get, you want to enforce these rules and I get, you really want to, you know, you want to, you know, get these foreign substances, whatever under control, but you just can't look like fools trying to enforce these rules. And that's how they're looking is pretty foolish. Speaking of Max Scherzer, Max Scherzer said this after the game. I think we're all angry about this one. You feel his hand. You don't feel anything. He's been cleared by every other umpire, and now all of a sudden he's getting thrown out. Confusion. We got to have something from Major League Baseball that that establishes a tangible threshold for what is too sticky and what is not too sticky. We have strips that can be used to test the acidity of water, the effectiveness of... Uh, sanitizer in restaurants. MLB needs to come up with some kind of strip yeah. that the that the umpires can put on a pitcher's hand, and if it turns a certain color, 
they're getting tossed or if it yeah. if it you know pulls off too much you know whatever there needs to be some sort of quantifiable test that the umpires can administer we need to have some sort of clarity here because even the Mets broadcasters were fumbling for what to do with this they were flummoxed Drew Smith is one of the Mets most trusted bullpen arms he's automatically suspended for 10 days right. and the Mets can't replace him on the roster so they're down yeah. a reliable arm in the bullpen and they can't call anybody up to replace him for 10 games, not 10 days, 10 games. Yeah. So the Mets are at a disadvantage because of what? The umpire's assessment of things? we got to do better with that. Be- because and they felt the stickiest substance they'd ever felt in their lives. Yeah, we got to do better with that. So anyway, that's, uh, that's our discussion on sticky hands. New York, maybe you guys need to just be a little bit more wary. Something the broadcasters mentioned, by the way, just to tack this on. They, they were wondering if maybe the umpires have access to the same stat cast information that the teams do, and they can see an uptick in RPMs from a guy, or they can see a velocity uptick, and, and maybe they're like noting, okay, if he comes into the game, we need to check him. To me, that's not an umpire's job. An umpire's job is to enforce the rules not to check for this stuff. There should be an MLB official that does that, and they need to have some sort of tangible thing to make that a success. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, let's move on to our next segment. In the hole. And in our third segment today, we want to talk about the uniqueness of baseball as it pertains particularly to the dimensions of the field. Yeah. This is uh this conversation stems from a comment that was made post game or post series by Alex Cora, manager of the Boston Red Sox. They played three games in Yankee Stadium and he wasn't happy with some of the results of some of the plays. There were some uh, some balls that were hit that would have been outs in a number of other baseball fields including Fenway Park. And he went on record after the game. He said, I can't wait to take this series to Fenway Park where we have more traditional dimensions. We'll break down that statement in just a little bit. But a part of me wants to complain to the league because the Yankees hit some balls that would be flyouts and bloops anywhere else. We're going on a hundred years of losing like this, and someone needs to say something. What? Other park is this ridiculous. And before we break down the uniqueness of baseball parks, I'd be like, hey, Alex Cora, maybe the ball diamond that has a 25-foot green monster in left field, maybe that park is as ridiculous as any other park in the league because your wall is twice as high as anybody else's wall in baseball. Shots fired. Anyway, we'll we'll break that down maybe a little later. But nonetheless, I think it was an interesting – it brought up an interesting thought in my mind. Like baseball is unique in that regard. You go to any – football game and the NFL and the NBA, and you're going to see a game played on a traditional sized playing surface, court, field, whatever. All the dimensions are fixed. No variables. Exactly. And although baseball, you know, it's, it's played on a square, 90 feet on each side in between the bases, baselines run accordingly along, you know, two sides of that square. The pitcher's mound is, you know, the same distance from home plate, but the wall dimensions are not the same. 
I couldn't think of another sport that has variable dimensions like baseball does. No, I even think like when you think like I think cricket is played on like a circle, like in that circle is 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 established like what those dimensions are. You're not allowed to, you know, tweak with that or whatever. Soccer so, has fixed dimensions. Yeah, exactly. The, yes. the dimensions of the field change depending on what level of soccer you're yes. playing. Yes. But within that level, everything is fixed. Yep. Tennis, fixed court dimensions. Yep. Racquetball, fixed yep. court dimension, volleyball, pickleball, pickleball, pickleball. pickleball. Yeah, Shout out, yep. pickleball, f- fixed court dimensions. I mean, rugby, fixed court dimensions. Exactly. High school football, right? Backyard football does not have fixed court dimensions, right? Okay, fine. But I feel like everything else is regimented except for baseball. So we did some digging. What exactly does the rule book for MLB say? about the layout of the field. Well, this is rule 2.01, in case you want to go check this out. Here's what it says. The field shall be laid out according to the instructions below, supplemented by diagrams that are in the rule book. They, uh, they're appendices 1, 2, and 3. Infield shall be a 90-foot square. The outfield shall be the area between two foul lines formed by extending two sides of the square, and they have a diagram for that. And then here's where the distance... Uh, starts to become a little trickier. The distance from home base to the nearest fence, stand, or other obstruction on fair territory. So that's important. This is not foul territory fences, stands, or obstructions. This is fair territory. So these, these are the dimensions of the outfield in fair territory shall be 250 feet or more. So is that referencing the foul pole? That's that's like referencing the foul, the foul pool's not mandated, but it's referencing the, the fence, stand, or other obstruction. Right. No. So like that, you know, that it the, the foul pool's not mandated from what I read in the rules. But like most all I mean, all stadiums they have the tall pole, which is technically the closest object in fair territory. Correct. So it's gotta be two hundred and fifty feet or more away from home base. A distance so here. This next sentence is probably the most vague sentence in the rule yeah. book. And a, it, it might actually help you understand the 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 um, enforcement of the sticky substance rule because the Major League Baseball is getting away writing rules this way. But yeah. go ahead. A distance of 320 feet or more along the foul lines and 400 feet or more to center field is preferable. Yeah. Thanks a lot. What? Thanks a lot. Since when do you, you know have a I rule with, that is preferable? You know what I do with board games that I play that have rules like that? Uh, you throw them in the trash. Yeah. Because they can't be trusted and they can't be taken seriously. And so, so therefore, that's why you will not go to any ballpark in Major League Baseball and find they have the same field dimensions. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't have to. The distance of 320 feet or more along the foul lines and 400 feet or more to center field is preferable. It's something they would like you to do, but it's not something that you have to do. The only thing you have to do is have a distance of 250 feet or more distance from home base to the nearest fence, stand, or other obstruction. I sympathize to a point with Cora because I... (laughs) I'm as annoyed as anybody when Aaron Judge hits a home run that gets the you know, the front row of right field at Yankee Stadium, and you're like, that's an out in like every other ballpark in the major leagues, and I get it. But again, I could imagine someone could say the same thing who hit a screamer to left field at Fenway 
and he hit it off the top of the wall. And instead of getting a home run, which he would get in any other stadium, he stuck to a long single because it bounced off the top of the green monster and bounced back into play. And I just, it just can't help but feel like, hey, dude, you have sour grapes because your team just got owned at Yankee Stadium. So now, not only do you sound bad, but your team better perform in Fenway. Hey, by the way, would you play this weekend in yep. Fenway? You better show up and you better play because you're really going to look like an idiot if you don't. Is that foreshadowing to our last segment? Kind of. Let's go to our last segment. Batting cleanup. And as we wrap up this week, we want to look ahead to some upcoming matchups. And similar to last week, there are some intriguing storylines taking place. There's a lot of classic teams playing this weekend. Just to highlight, the Yankees and Red Sox are playing again this weekend. That's an AL East matchup. The Yankees trying to get back in the division. The Red Sox trying to climb out of last place. They play in Boston this weekend. Uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles play this weekend. That's a classic rivalry. San Francisco and the Dodgers. Max Muncy is probably looking forward to that series because they're playing in San Francisco. And if there's one thing that Max Muncy likes doing, he likes hitting home runs in San Francisco. Any other matchups that you're looking ahead to over the next week? Yeah, there are two that are intriguing to me. One in particular, not doesn't jump off the page, but it does have some pretty heavy implications for where we are in the standings right now. Pittsburgh goes to Milwaukee in the NL Central, and neither of the Central divisions are very strong, but Pittsburgh and Milwaukee are at the top of that division, and you know Pittsburgh, I think, would like to establish themselves as a true contender uh, in the NL Central, and if they want to do that, to win two out of three in Milwaukee would go a long way to legitimizing their you know, their trek towards a division title, the unlikeliest of division titles. Absolutely. They're a game and a half up on Milwaukee. Exactly. Yeah. They're in first place right now. And so this, they're, they're looking to, you know, who would have thought like going into the middle of June, uh, middle to end of June, that Pittsburgh would be looking to solidify their division lead just in general. So, so the way the NL central shakes out Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Cincinnati Cubs, Cardinals, Nobody, I don't think, would have predicted the Reds in Pittsburgh would yeah. have been first and third in the division. Well, and nobody would have predicted the Cardinals to be last. Yeah. yeah. And the Cardinals, they just like the the Pitts, Pittsburgh's been a great story. Milwaukee is consistent. The momentum, the excitement is with the Reds in that yeah. division. And, you know, the 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 Cubs aren't terrible. But I'm just like, you're trying to, you're starting to think like, okay, how can we get out of last place, make a run? And if, the, if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm worried that I don't think we can. And so I, I just read an article today that said Paul Goldschmidt, it may make sense for them to trade him at the trade deadline, which I think Cardinals fans would have been really disappointed if that was the message going into the season. But yeah. anyway, another, another one that I'm looking at is the Rays and Padres. Yep. It's going to be a good game. Uh, the underperforming Padres, but getting hot Padres. Yep. Gary Sanchez has found himself in San Diego. Manny Machado's hitting the baseball in San Diego. Uh, Joe Musgrove has been looking like himself. They're, they're starting to get hot, and they're playing against a Rays team that is going to be coming off of losing at least two out of three to the A's, if not more. How's Tampa Bay going to respond? That, that's going to be an intriguing matchup. And then the Rays play Baltimore. Oh, yeah. 
early next week. That's going to be an intriguing matchup because you got one and two in the division duking it out. I don't believe Tampa Bay has played Baltimore yet this year. They're only like, what, they're five teams with 40 wins. Those are two of them right there. I believe so. And so they're really, really solid teams. Baltimore's four games back in the division. Depending on how things go over the weekend, that could be a lot closer, could be a lot uh, wider. Both of them over their last 10 games are seven and three. So it'll be curious to see how that shakes out. That's going to be a a big matchup. And then... Well, don't forget about old teams facing new teams. The old athletics are facing the new athletics, soon to be the next version of the athletics this weekend. Philadelphia goes to Oakland. I thought you were saying the Tigers were going to Oakland. No, the Philadelphia Athletics, the Philadelphia Phillies are in Oakland over the weekend. Can Oakland stay hot over the weekend? Well, so then Philly goes and uh, they play Atlanta in Philadelphia next week. Are you going? And that's going to be a fun matchup because the way the NL East is set up right now, Philly is eight games back, and both them and the Braves are eight and two over their last ten. So they're both playing at a very high level. Philly is within a game of 500, which would be first place in the in the AL Central, by the way. So are they going to be a lot able to of climb? teams that would be first place in the AL Central? Okay. So true. So they there's a good chance that Philly could even hop over the Marlins, depending on how the Marlins play. There's going to be a lot of of implications from games this weekend. All that to say, if you have an opportunity to watch some baseball this weekend, plenty of good games to choose from. It's Father's Day. Shout out to some of the really cool looking hats and jerseys that they have this year. They finally got some hats right, I think, in these special holidays. Yeah, it looks really great. In addition to all of the, you know, marketing stuff that they're doing with the City Connect unis, the Father's Day hats are always a cool, cool hat to see. Just how are they going to do it this year? They're pretty cool. So watch some baseball this weekend. And as always, reach out to us on our social media channels, uh, Twitter, Facebook, hit us up. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, We would love to discuss that in a future episode. Reach out to us through Twitter or Facebook for that. As always, like and share this podcast with your friends and family. Let them know about this weekly conversation that we have about what's hot and trending in baseball. And until next week, we're out of here.